Welcome to Dial It In, a podcast where we talk with interesting people about the process improvements and tricks they use to grow their businesses. I'm Dave Meyer, president of BusyWeb, and every week, Trig Violson and I are bringing you interviews on how the best in their fields are dialing it in for their organizations. Welcome to Dial It In. Today, I am super excited to be interviewing our very own Trigvi Olson, our Director of Buzz Development. If you don't know Trigvi, Trigvi has a wealth of experience in marketing after running his own digital marketing agency, servicing both national organizations and helping to grow local businesses across the country. Trigvi has extensive experience in web development, branding, organic SEO, you name it, he has done it. Trigvi is an active speaker and trainer on HubSpot, where he is featured frequently not only in inbound office hours, inbound sales office hours with Kyle Jepson on LinkedIn, but also he is a professor of the Pipeline Generation Bootcamp for HubSpot, which is an incredibly exclusive team of, I believe, six inside of the entire HubSpot world. It's up to like 20 now, but okay. in North America, North America, there's only five of us. Perfect. See? Okay, great. So if you have not seen Trigvi in action, he is classically trained in improv and his humorous slant on digital marketing topics educates his audience while putting them at ease when he's not driving business and sales for BusyWeb, for which I am eternally grateful. Trigvi, so delighted to have you here. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Long-time listener. Yeah. First-time guest. Um, Second-time yeah, first host. First-time guest on my own podcast. Second-time host. <laughs> well, thanks for, thanks for making the time to get together with me here because I think as we build out the Dial It In podcast, one of the most important things is finding out how experts are truly creating and excelling in their fields. And you have just exploded in what you do for not only BusyWeb, but for hundreds of businesses across the world through your work with HubSpot. And so you are the king of dialing it in. So thank you. And, well, thanks. That's you know, kind of you to say. Absolutely. So before we get going, so far in the format, we're doing a little bit of history. So okay. I mentioned earlier that you had your own agency. And why don't, you, why don't you give me a little bit of background into not only what that was about and maybe how you got started on this whole marketing side, but then also how we came to know each other and started working together. So, uh, wow, that's a long story. So hopefully we have enough tape. Um, <laughs> I started my own business primarily because I, much like you, I didn't feel like I was going to be a good employee. And I still don't feel like I'm a good employee. I feel like I, I, I'm a pain in the ass to most of the people I work with at BusyWeb. And uh, I like building things. I like making things. I like seeing something go from nothing to something. And so... When I, back in 2010, an, a very old, I lost my job and a buddy of mine had asked me to help him out with what he had created, which was a conversational search engine for Twitter. Hmm. So you could enter in a term and then it would tell you everybody who's been talking about that term. And what I thought was just an amazing use of that tool was 
a social use of that tool. So we had tried talking to schools and use it as an early warning system to try to hit kids who were in trouble and give them an opportunity to kind of have a crisis intervention. Great. Wow. And yeah, it was really neat. I worked my, my I think the proudest that I'd ever been really at the time was uh, we worked with a, a ministry in Harlem and it was half a dozen guys who were convicted murderers, but had since become ordained priests in, in prison. And what they had found was that at the time, because of all the law and order shows, all the gangs understood that you could get hung by uh, a, a cell phone tower. So they had moved to Twitter and so they were coordinating uh, gang activity on Twitter. And so what we had done is figured out, okay, so based on what we're trying to do here, we could put priests in front of people before they were going to commit a heinous act. Wow, cool. And so the guy who I'd worked with who had since passed away told me once that he had 55 guns in his office because of me. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because he thought I was going to visit or just because it was a good job, but... right. The problem with that was that it really didn't pay, saving the world really didn't pay well. And especially as you were talking to the schools at the time, so this was 10, 11 years ago, they wanted absolutely no part of anything social media. Anything that happened off school grounds, including the internet, they were putting their head in the sand for. So what I changed from that as I started talking with people and realizing that social media was a thing and I could do that. I'm a creative guy and I can write. So and start to take meetings. And then people ask, could you do that? Could you do it X? And I'd say, sure, no problem. Then I'd go out to the car and I'd Google what I just agreed to and then figured out how to do it. <laughs> yep. And then sooner or later, uh, you know, to get back to the idea of me being a bad employee, when I was trying to figure out what to do next, I realized I don't need a job as much as I need a certain amount of money every month. And as long as I was doing activities that were interesting to me and gave me the opportunity to be curious, I was able to, you know, cobble together a living and it was fun and it was interesting. And yeah. I think one of the, uh, one of the things that I'm particularly good at that not a lot of people are is, starting with nothing and then making something out of it. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So I managed a pro wrestler for a while. I designed T-shirts, which I had to learn graphic design. And then I started doing web stuff. And then pretty soon I had a nice little uh, recurring income. And so that's why I, I, I was running my own business. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and I, I think it was very popular you were doing you were doing really well it was it was a little bit of a of a, a grind right and as yep. far as doing all all of the related things but we met through constant contact yeah i had uh and i had gotten out of it for a couple of months and the reason i had gotten out of it is my wife became pregnant and i thought well, I can't do this anymore. I have to grow up and get a real job. And so uh, one of my clients had hired me at the time, and I was still doing work for Constant Contact. And you and I were on a panel together where we didn't really talk. It was a panel of four people, I think. It was you, me, and it was Carrie Smital and probably one other person. I don't remember who the fourth person was. Yeah. And the moderator, who's a, a dear friend, every time somebody would ask a question, he'd answer the question. <laughs> and we kind of looked at each other and then... I'm like, uh, oh, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> 
And so my son was born three and a half weeks premature. I had just moved out of the craziest house you'd ever did see. I wasn't doing really well at the new gig. And so when you and I met, I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to ask this guy if he has space for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as we've covered in, in a previous episode, it was very much a interesting road for us for business development. And so it was perfect timing for us to be chatting. And we really needed someone with not only the chops to get it done, but with the kind of cultural fit and the kind of go gettingness that would really make, make things happen. And we've been able to grow this together quite successfully. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I had sort of come to re- understand much, much later in life is I really didn't have a good uh, sense of my own identity because I was trying to be what everybody else wanted me to be. So I didn't pursue as many dreams as I wanted to because I thought I had to get a job and then I had to get a house and then I had to do this and then I had to do this. And then sooner or later I lost that job and I was like, well, what am I supposed to do now? So I I was internally lucky that I had a wife who is unbelievably patient who just let me sit and think for a while and Uh then figure it out. And then once that happened, then that started sort of started me on the marketing path. And then which is what brought me to BusyWeb. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had that compartmentalized conversation about the full about the full arc. So that's super cool. Yeah. As dial it in as the podcast, one of the goals is to identify how people improve their process and or their results over time, however that is. When we started together, business was entirely different than what it is now. So, you know, we were a website building organization primarily. We sort of did some marketing, mostly by lip service. Explain to our listeners how you grew the business development role as BusyWeb broadened in scope and or went deeper into relationships with customers? Well, I think it was like in most business development, it was, and we're using business development, but that's a fancy way of saying sales. Sales, yes. I think it was in large part due to failure. And I had just come on board and I was rebuilding my network and I really wasn't, I I was doing okay, but what I realized is that there was this sort of other element to our business that we could create recurring revenue from. You know, when at the time we we built websites, that's what we did. Is we were a website builder, and that mm-hmm. that was it. We had this other thing that we did, but you know, we build websites. And so, typically, when you sell a website to a company, if you do it right, you do it well, and which is something that we do. Is you shouldn't really have to worry about it for a good period of time. Mm-hmm. It should be up, it should be working, it should be functional for, you know, let's say five years. So then we did this, I, I sort of inherited this package program and I think they were really even like like something as trite as silver, gold, and bronze, silver, bronze, gold, and silver. Sure. Where we do X amount of social media posts and then we do Y amount of blogging and then Z amount of this. And so... Mm-hmm. As I was trying to sell that, one of the things that I discovered is people would they'd hitch on it. They couldn't they couldn't wrap their minds around it because 
what if I needed five things and what if I needed less? What right. does, does that mean that I have to spend less? And the answer was always no. And then they were like, well, I can't, I can't thank you enough for all the time then. And so I can remember where I was and who I was with. I was with Jen, your wife, and I was explaining this to her. And then she and I revolutionized the entire digital marketing landscape on the whole. And we created this brand new concept of monthly stipends. So every month you pay us a certain amount of money and then we do a certain amount of work for that. The work is completely dependent upon the success metric. If you need to go up, great. If you need to go down, fine. But you're going to pay us every month and then we're going to do a bunch of work for you every month. Now, mm-hmm. we just thought this was the greatest thing ever. And uh, come to find out that we had invented something that somebody else had invented years before and we just happened to, discover, happened to stumble upon it. Mm-hmm. And then that soon after that, that's really what one of the first explosions of the business was, was, and I almost killed Jen as a result of that. Because I think because BusyWeb was so successful at building websites, I had a good 150 clients to call. And I think I sent 25 within about a six-week period. Yes, yes. The the big crush. And those were for the initial like strategy part, right? Where we would get things going. So it was like, I don't think we called it a game plan back then, but... Well, that was part of it is, no, you'd sign up for it. And then the first month we would do a strategy and figure out what we were supposed to do. And then the uh-huh. second month, then we would build it. And then the third month, we'd actually get started. Right. And then that was another hitch in the giddy up there because then people were like, so I'm going to pay you all the time. And then in 90 days, I'm only going to get one mar- month worth of marketing effort on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can see how you'd feel that way. And so we sort of stumbled through that. And then I can, then what, as, as Jen and I were in, in the BusyWeb conference room trying to promote this to a client, I went rogue, which I am known to do from time and again. And I said, well, what if we just do the strategy for you? And then you can decide whether or not what you want to do or not. Right. So I basically invented a new product line on the spot. Uh-huh. So I talked earlier about there was that one time where I tried to kill Jen. That was the first time in which Jen tried to kill me <laughs> because she's like, but to her credit, she stayed quiet and then didn't, didn't yell at me till later. But what we ended up coming to is this idea that every business is different, really, based on a number of things. Number one is your differentiating value proposition. How you enter the landscape is really different than anybody else. And sometimes that involves a tremendous amount of deep navel-gazing where you really have to understand how you're different and Uh what you offer that's different. If you say your customer service is different, it makes you different, that does not make you different. You know, Mm -hmm. if you are describing yourselves in the same way that you can describe my dog, which is, then you're not different, you know? So if you say things like, well, we're really go-getters and we really have attention to detail. Well, drop a taco on the floor and he's going to go get it and he's going to have great attention to detail. So that doesn't really apply. So the second thing is geography. Uh Is on how super search engines work. Respecting the geography has to has to be notated, and then the third is competition. So, what are your competitors doing? How are they trying to gain market share? And then, what are some things that you can get? And then, what are some things that you shouldn't really go after as a result of that? Mm-hmm. And so, if we understood all that, 
then really what it became is less about trying to assign a client and more putting us in a position of, well, if this was our money, how would we spend it to get an actual result? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the model we have now, which is let's try and figure out what's actually going to move the needle for you. And then let's do that. Now, within that, there's always going to be a certain amount of error rate. Some things are going to work. Some things aren't going to work. And so let's give, just give credence to the idea that some things aren't going to work. And instead of saying, oh, just wait longer, Mr. Client, it's going to be great, because a lot of people do that, and that irritates me. Let's call it out. And let's put ourselves in the position to say, this isn't working the way we want. Mm-hmm. But this other thing that we're doing is, so let's stop doing the thing that's not not working. Let's double down on the thing that is working. Absolutely. And so as a result of that, the clients who can buy into that get a tremendous rate of return because really what you get, and this is part of the value proposition of working with BusyWeb, is if you get to the point where you're actually paying us, we genuinely want to make your life better. We don't right. take people on because we we think that we can melt them for money or because they're a, a good paying client. We pay yeah. them. We, we work with the people we really want to make a difference for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you find a lot of, find a lot of people who are genuinely interested in your own success. Right. As we started the biz dev solutions and as we were having the conversations, it occurs to me that we made a pretty seismic shift. And I know that you were instrumental in this. We moved from, as you said, kind of being a widget maker or or Mm. someone that we build websites, boom, done, talk to me in three years, to being a consultative partner. So how how did we lead through that? Or what were the big questions that we needed to answer in order to get to that space to know that we needed a big change? Well, I think that was part of my entrepreneurial spirit because I kept running up against these much bigger agencies. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought about it and I thought, well, what really makes an agency? Well, it's people who can do things and then they charge for it. And that's pretty much it. So why aren't we calling ourselves an agency? So then I sort of, by force of will, said, decided that BusyWeb is now now an agency. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden that that took a big leap forward. I think the second thing was that we really tried to look at the full life cycle of what a client needs mm-hmm. and not just a website, you know, because that's bopping in and out and bopping in and out. And so that really is based on volume and we don't really do volume at busy web. I mean, we do a fair amount of business, sure, but we are not transactional in the sense that we are trying to get you in and get you out as fast as possible. What we're trying to do is get you in as fast as possible, which, by the way, if you'd like to, please see me after the show, but also make sure that we're doing a difference for it, making a difference for you. Mm -hmm. So instead of being transactional where we had to have a certain amount of people in order to fill that, that void, let's actually figure out what do these people need and how can we provide them. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times they need content. Well, that's great. We have writers on staff. Well, and a lot of times they need connections to social media. Well, that's great. We already have development people on staff. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, they need uh, email marketing help. Well, that's great. Dave and I are experts in email marketing. So, mm-hmm. we had all the tools in place. I think I was just really the first person to sort of look at it and go, Oh, okay. No, let's do this in a different way. 
and let's offer this in a way that puts the client in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Not what we want to sell them. Let's focus on what they need to buy and what they really need help with. Now, come to find out, there was this other company called HubSpot that was doing that long before us. So once again, we revolutionized the industry by doing something that somebody else has already started to do. Right. And that's worked out all right, right? I I did not want to do HubSpot. Yeah. It was $1,000 a month. Uh, Uh Dave is cuckoo bananas. Why on earth are we doing this? This is horrible. And it was $1,000 a month, right, at, at a time when we were looking at... We did not have um, $1,000 a month. Right. We were, we were looking at, okay, well, uh, what do we have to do in trade-off to make payroll? So, yeah. 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 So it yeah. was a big bet. And, and that happened a lot back then. And why on earth are we going to chain ourselves to this? And then I, I kind of, I describe it to people kind of like when I got my first iPhone. Because I didn't want the iPhone. I had to get an iPhone because my wife works at a building that has an AT&T tower on it. So an AT&T was the only one selling iPhones right back then. So fine, I'll get an iPhone. And then I started using it and I went, oh God, all right, fine. This is nice. (laughs) Yep. And it was the same thing with HubSpot where I started using it and got, fine, this is nice. So Uh from a business development standpoint, I don't have a phone in my office anymore because I just have a studio mic and I you know, I talk to people through the studio mic. So every, all my call, calls are already recorded. Right. I don't have to notate anything because I'm calling out of the HubSpot system. So that, all that's tabulated for me. Anytime I write an email, it's always included. So everybody else already knows what's going on. Right. Now, any salesperson worth their salt is now rolling their eyes or has turned off the podcast by now because they want to say, well, why on earth am I going to let other people know what I'm doing? Well, that's a valid point, but the converse of that is if you don't let people know what they're doing, then they're not going to be able to help you. Right. So, right. There was a time in which, and I think it's happened a couple of times, I think four times people called you and complained about me. And I can remember the last time they called and complained, you and I were walking down the hall the busy web and you sort of met, threw it out as sort of an offhand thing. Like, oh yeah, somebody called and complained about you. And I went, what? He's like, no, you're like, no, no, it's fine. What? No, 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 no. What, 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 what? Why are they calling and complaining about me? And you said, And you kind of looked at me and went, all right, fine. So somebody had referred business in, and then that person who did the referring call, because their referrer didn't get the outcome they liked, which is basically I didn't want to give him the price that he wanted to spend. Uh He called and complained to his buddy, who then called you and complained. And so unbeknownst to me, the call came in, the complaint about me, you had gone into the guy's record in HubSpot and went, okay, here's three emails that he sent. He's half a dozen resources that he sent. Mm-hmm. There's two 45-minute phone conversations that he had with me. And you coached me a little. Some, you said sometimes I got a little snippy, which is probably fair. But the idea that I didn't, I wasn't helpful just simply wasn't true. And right. all the evidence was, was just sitting there. So you were kind of like, well, come on. I told you it was fine. Let it go. And I'm like, right. oh, uh, okay. Uh-huh. So this is nice. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is I've always f- 
in, and I tell people all this, and I, when I teach this stuff, I tell people is that really good salespeople are very much like baseball pitchers. They are out on their own, and they can either win or lose the game on their own, which is really exciting, and sometimes it's stressful, and sometimes it's lonely, but it is a unique position to be in if you can handle it. Mm-hmm. And so what I found with HubSpot after all my kicking and screaming, I quickly got into a program that HubSpot offered, which I now teach, which I found all of these other people who do what I do. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had a tribe, not mm-hmm. only my busy web tribe, but all these people around the world who do what I do and have the same issues that I do right. and have the same questions that people ask all the time. And so that helped me on a personal level have another great leap forward because now all of a sudden I wasn't by myself and I had, I had people to crowdsource sure. beyond the support I had at BusyWeb. Right. And that thing that you do that you alluded to is introduce yourself to a whole ton of people and ask them for money. Yes. Yes. But yeah. there's a little bit more to that than that. But ultimately the job of any salesperson is to get money out of somebody. That's the right. that's the result that the salesperson really wants. Right. And there's two ways to do that. Is number one is by being the most clever person in the room. Uh-huh. Of which I would say just about any room that I'm in ever, I'm more than likely the most clever person in the room. But that doesn't give you results uh-huh. because what that gives you is a bad reputation. And I think you see that a lot, especially in the car industry. There was sort of the stereotype of salespeople that they were going to, the car salespeople were going to screw you. And then all of a sudden the internet came along and the Kelly Blue Book values came along. And then all of a sudden, informationally, it wasn't adversarial anymore and it was flat. Mm-hmm. Because now everybody had this, was dealing from the same deck and having the same piece of information. Now, what's happened over the last 25 years or so since the dark days of the internet, a time in my life I like to call college, is that's permeated in other industries as well. And now people are much more inclined to believe that a salesperson is going to screw them. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to let the salesperson screw them. They're going to do all the information themselves. And they're going to do all the research themselves. And they're going to look at websites. They're going to look up information. They're going to get educated on that. Well, the smart salesperson understands that and and grants that premise that if somebody thinks you're going to try to screw them, that there's no really no way around it. So the only way that you can combat that is just by being a decent person Mm -hmm. and listening to what they have to say, talking to them about what their problems are, not what you want their problems to be, and then trying to help them find a solution that makes sense. Right, right. And it Oftentimes, that's not the solution that you want to sell. It's the solution that makes the most sense to them. Right. And so it's, and so, it's kind of the, the difference, right, between being a traditional salesman and being a consultant or a helper, right? Someone yes. that's going to ask questions, almost like a psychologist for the business. I think that I really don't know how to describe it except this way is, is I, used to, uh, re- I, I used to practice martial arts uh-huh. a lot. I used to be really into martial arts. and. And it got to the point where you could recognize just by talking to somebody, no matter how much bluster they had, really whether or not they could handle themselves in a fight. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what you find is the toughest guys, the guys you need to be the most afraid of are the people who act like puppy dogs. 
And so I think in sales, that same way is true is the person who is going to give you the most amount of bluster is the least amount of practice in the, in the thing. Mm-hmm. But the person who's genuinely interested in you and generally just starts talking to you, that's the person that you gravitate to. And then after a while, you say, say, let me ask you a question. And then you all of a sudden you're talking about a product offering or a service offering, but you don't get there unless you have a tremendous amount of experience, which I'm unfortunately do because I think about my mistakes all the time, mm-hmm. but also just being a decent person. Right. And being interesting to talk to and interest and, and somebody who's willing to help, not because I want to, not because I'm going to make a buck out of it, just because it's the right thing to do. Right. And then you get to the point then where the money follows. Right. Well, and one of, one of the things in getting the money to follow is sometimes in order to get past a gatekeeper or to break an impasse, you have to get creative. And this is, this is one of my yeah. favorite Trig V things. No one's as creative as Trig V Olson in connecting with the right audience and getting to some sort of a response. Can yes. you share one of your favorite examples of how you got to someone when otherwise you just weren't hitting anything other than a brick wall? So uh, I don't want to give a lot of my secret sauce, but I'll give I'll give the one that I normally give when people ask me that question is, again, and you have to realize that there's been a new evolution in sales in the last two and a half years too. It really started around the pandemic where you could have a really good phone conversation. You could call somebody up and you can go visit them, but somehow that kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, is everybody sort of went to email and now everybody's emailing and there's all these scripts out there of, and all these lists of 10 best email scripts and of which everybody uses. And we all get the same 15 emails every single day. So your job as an, as a salesperson is to make a connection by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. You can do that by being insulting or you can do that by being a friend. And so one of the most important parts of the class that I teach for HubSpot called Pipeline Generation Bootcamp is how to talk to a gatekeeper, somebody whose job it is to not let you pass them and how to make friends with them. So there's mm-hmm. two things. Number one, keep in mind when you're talking to a gatekeeper, realize that that gatekeeper is almost universally hated by everybody they talk to. And their job is to be, no, I'm not going to let you in. No, Dave is busy. No, you can't talk to Dave. Right. Their job is to say no. Now you want them to say yes. So oftentimes what I do is after the second, third, or fourth call, if they're really good at their job, call them out on it. Uh-huh. Don't say, hey, you're being mean to me. Say, you are just a tremendous gatekeeper, and I really appreciate that about you. Mm-hmm. Ask them their name. Talk to them as a person. Right. Be warm and be genuine and say, okay, this was great. I can't wait to see you on Friday when we have this call again. And maybe they laugh and maybe they don't. But at the end of the day, you're, they're, they're going to be a little softer to you because you're treating them as a person. And right. you're saying, hey, I respect what you do. Absolutely. The second thing is you can never underestimate the value of a dozen donuts. So that person in the organization is often overlooked and often underappreciated. Uh-huh. And so if I need to get past a gatekeeper, what I will do is I will have a dozen donuts delivered to the office and then I'll call that gatekeeper and I'll say, Hey Dave, you should have some donuts that were delivered today. 
Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, were this for me? me? No, they're from you. And then everybody else in the office who, those donut, who enjoyed those donuts are going to go back to that gatekeeper and say, oh, thanks for the, bringing in donuts today. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the next time you call, it's a little bit easier and a little bit easier. You said something really important earlier, Dave, which is ultimately what my job is, is to get people to give us money in order to let us do a job, uh, do things for them. Mm-hmm. And to a, a large extent, that's true, but that's usually the end of something. Right. Before then, there are all sorts of micro sellings that have to be done. I have to get by somebody's trust. Mm-hmm. I have to get them to believe in me. I actually have to believe in them. There have been, I don't know how many dozens of people who have come to us with ideas that I just don't think are going to work. And I'm not in a position to help them in that, in that right. instance. So the littlest things that you can do tend to be the most valuable. And one of the most important is just simply treating people like people mm-hmm. and respecting them from where they're coming from. Right on. Well, I think and, is, and, and donuts. Yeah, well, don't, donuts are always good, and making sure that you have have a a, a little bit of a um, variety, right, can be super helpful. But Which, by the way, uh, I'm super glad that I don't work out of the office anymore uh, because there's a donut place right across the street, and so most days in the office after about one o'clock in the afternoon, the whole area smells like warm cinnamon. Yep. And I feel like I'd be Pepe Le Pew. I'd just be led by my nose across the street. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> it can be brutal. So yeah. I, I think as we round third and get right before right before we close out with our questions, I want to ask you one more thing that really, I think, gets to the heart of what business development, aka sales, is. And that is, how do you generate enough interest in a person that it becomes automatically reciprocal. Does that make sense? Like, how do you build that up? How do you generate the interest in a person so that it comes through the phone on your first conversation with them? I think you have to be genuinely curious Mm -hmm. to learn about people. And you can't read it off a script. Yeah. Hey, how are you today? Pause, pause, pause. Great. My name is Trigvi from BusyWeb. Let me tell you about some exciting opportunities in web design that we can offer you. Now, you have to ask people. And so when they talk to you about something or they make an offhand comment, ask them, what's that like? And I try and learn from everybody that I talk to. Mm -hmm. I try and be helpful to everybody that I can talk to. And oftentimes, I would say 75% of the time, that isn't a BusyWeb styled solution. I might know somebody who can help out. I might connect them with somebody else that I know and sort of make a love connection in that way. But it's not by feigning interest. It's by genuinely being interested in the lives of other people. Right. Not in a creepy way, but ways in which you can help. And one of the things that we've done from our business development process is when we do research on companies that we want to talk to, we have a good reason for calling, not because we want to sell them stuff, but because we see something that we think we can do better mm-hmm. or they can do better. Right. And maybe they, maybe they'll let us do it. Maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. But it, even if they say no, then we've at least ticked the karmatic, karm, karmic, 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 yeah. Karm, yeah, karmic uh, checkbox of the day. Mm-hmm. And we've done something good for somebody else. Right. 
Agreed. And uh, yeah, there are, there are a number of things that we have differences in styles for sales, but I, that's that's probably the biggest one that's that's the same is that we both genuinely just try to help people. Yeah. And then let the chips fall where they may, right? So if 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 it winds up in a sale, fantastic and that's so delightful and I'm glad to be able to work with you, but at the end of the day, I think both of us kind of approach this and say, I just want to help and if there's something that you get a value out of it, then my job is done. Well, and I think to your credit as a leader is you and I are very, very different people. How we talk to people are very, very, I wouldn't say very, very different, but we have right. incredibly different styles. Mm-hmm. And one of the building tenets that we've grown on at BusyWeb is by making sure everybody's genuine, pe- who they are, right. shines through. Yep. And we don't have scripts. We don't have things that we have demand people say all the time in order to present the same experience. Mm-hmm. We hire people based on their expertise and we give them tools to succeed. And then we trust that they're going to deal with people in the way in which we would deal with them, which is by being genuinely helpful. Yeah. So you've never tried to make me as Dave 2.0. You've just let me right. be me. Mm-hmm. And even my wife, uh, I think a year into me being here, said, uh, it's what a wonderful thing that we found that we found a place to, that just lets you be you and has figured out how to profit off of it. Right. <laughs> and there's been no shortage of that. So thank you. Yeah. This has been tremendous fun. Uh, I want to bring it back and kind of the through line as we move forward on our podcast here is we're going to have some questions that we ask of our guests every time. So okay. it's cool. I'd like to hit you with a few of those Yep, and see how it goes. Yep. I'm ready. Um, first one, what's your most used app? Probably the chess game. Is the really? thing I do the most. Yeah. So fascinating. Is that like a like a downtime thing or yep. b- before bed or sitting in lines or is it just kind of everywhere? Uh just kind of anywhere. It kind of helps me set my mind uh clear. Mm-hmm. Um is just by focusing on another another problem. You know, the problem is summertime's really hard for me because usually right. I'm using that time to think about something or clear the mechanism. Mm-hmm. And if my wife walks by and or walks through my office, she'll she'll go, Oh, well, you're not doing anything. Why here, why don't you vacuum? And then yeah. Yeah. then I'm completely gone gonzo for a while. But yeah, probably chess and then uh photos, because I am I'm, sure. I'm one of those dads that takes way too many photos of my way too cute kid. Very much, very much. And I agree wholeheartedly. It's a cute young man that you've got rolling there. And he's he's a great kid. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we made him ourselves. I know. I heard. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's get into, you know, since you're, since you're in sales, you deal a lot with value and time and money. Uh, what's the most expensive thing you either have ever bought or own that is 100% worth the money? Well, uh, I just did seven days in Disneyland, Ooh, Disney World, yeah. excuse me, which was, it was an, ex, it, it was an expedition, I guess. It was mm-hmm. 12, 14 hours a day. It was, you have no concept of money. It was fun and happiness all the time. When it all added up, I kind of had a, a shock moment of, oh my God, I can't believe we spent that much. And then I kind of realized I would do it again in a second. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and that's that's a deposit in memories that you'll always have. Yes. Wow. And yes. I've seen some of the pictures. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I met Chewbacca and I drove them. I, I piloted the Millennium Falcon with my son. So. As you will. 
Yeah. I can't really, I, as much as I keep trying to ask your wife, I do that at work, but right. I, if I could do that at work, but she keeps saying, no, we do not need a full size millennium Falcon. So, right. Right. And she said, she, she's such a killjoy, but I will say it, it, one of the things that I learned from your wife, which I had on my latest trip to Disney world was there's a time where you just say, screw it. And you order the dessert anyway. Mm-hmm. And our first night there, I ordered the, I ordered a, back to the question, the most expensive thing, yeah. I ordered a $50 dessert. Ooh. It was the mo- I think it was the most I'd ever spent on one course in my life. Mm-hmm. And I told my wife, I ordered the $50 dessert. She's like, you did what? <laughs> and then it came and it was a, it was a Mexican restaurant in Epcot center. And it was a six inch by six inch tres leches cake. Ooh, yeah. With a eight and a half inch chocolate Aztec temple on top of it, which once you broke into the temple with a spoon, it was filled with chocolate mousse. And then the entire thing had a caramel ice cream circle around the edge of it. And then it had, and it had sparklers. Uh So sometimes in life, you live smartly so that when those opportunities present, you just go, yep, add to cart. <laughs> right on. Yep. I'm doing it. I'm that guy yep. who orders that thing. Uh-huh. And I don't, and it's, and it was worth it. I love it. Let's flip gears. Uh, what, how about a mistake that you wish you had back or you could do over? I, I cheated on a girlfriend in college. Ooh. Yeah. And I've hated myself for it for 30 years. Right on. Because okay. it didn't need to happen. Yeah. And I could have been a better person for it. Sure. sure. I've I never done it since. Well, I think that's that that kind of ties into what you were talking about with relationships, right? So yeah. It hammers right back on integrity. Yeah. 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 I um, should have been a better I, I should have been a better person to her. Right on. Got it. Three songs, Desert Island. What are you taking? Uh, the show goes on by Bruce Hornsby in the range. Ooh, good one. Um, so by Stevie Wonder from uh, mm-hmm. Songs in the Key of Life. Mm-hmm. And Purple Rain, the long version, Ooh, the extended long, version. Yeah, yeah, magnificent. When Prince died, and it was the weirdest thing here in Minnesota. It was a two-day torrential rainstorm. Yeah. And it hasn't happened since. I mean, we get rain here, but we don't get two straight hard rain days. It was like the world was like the entire state was crying for Prince. And I can remember it was one of my fondest memories. My son, who was, uh, I think a little under a year at that point, I let him out on the deck and he just danced in the rain. And (laughs) purple rain was on the radio for some reason. Mm -hmm. And that song has just always stuck with him. And I've told him since, you know, you live in Minnesota, you have to like Prince. And he's like, no, I don't prince but you know he'll he'll come around eventually of course and he, he can't not being in minnesota and and not be a fan right uh what's your least favorite cliche one that you're like ah that's bullshit um don't take no for an answer mm-hmm. in sales mm-hmm. uh, number one it's wildly inappropriate especially as you do with women to be that guy who doesn't take no for an answer. Yeah. Cause that, you're never going to get back in if you do that. Yeah. So instead, 
what I like to think of is the answer is, is, is not now. Mm-hmm. The answer isn't no. The answer is not now. Right on. And so build yourself out, be gracious in defeat, mm-hmm. and always come back to it when Excellent. you can and when it's appropriate. Sure, sure. Now, that even being said, there's some people are just, yeah, there's some people who are just cuckoo and you want to run away from. Yeah. There was one lady who came into the office once who had this, I, I forget, it was this machine that was supposed to align your, align your back and she had me use it and it was, uh, it warmed your butt. Mm-hmm. It was like this big egg thing that I sat on and everybody came by and took pictures of me. That I don't think that ever went anywhere. Right, but, right. You know, like but, uh, right, yeah. Just be genuine and uh, if somebody says no, te- don't take it as no, take it as not right now. Perfect. Love it. Okay. Thank you. I, I have one more. Okay. What's something that nobody would expect knowing you unless they're like close friends? Something that would they'd find surprising. I am a gambling addict in 17 years in recovery. Oh. Mm-hmm. I l- love to win so much so that I had a job that I was going to Las Vegas for a week every month. Uh-huh. So, you know, you'd go and have a nice work day uh-huh. and then five o'clock, they're like, okay, see you tomorrow. And you're like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And then you're left by yourself with the strip. <laughs> so yeah. I don't do it anymore, but you know, it's, it's humbled me. So I don't, I, I talked earlier about, about being the most clever person in the room. I don't need to be that. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. because that's not real. What, what real winning is anymore to me. Right on. Oh, love it. Thank you, Trigby. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Well, this has been Dial It In, and we've got a whole bunch of fantastic guests coming up. So stay tuned. And until next time, thank you very much for joining us. 